Good morning. It's the second Friday of December, December 11th, and we are just two weeks to the day before Christmas. Right now, you're listening to Talking About Art. Talking About Art is presented every second and fourth Fridays of the month, and it's the mission of Talking About Art to be a resource for artists and all those who relish and support the arts in our community. Through our programming, I wish to provide in-depth interviews and stories about the artists, writers, and poets of our community, and we reach a potential listening audience of over 300,000. We've been broadcasting Talking About Art for over seven years now with some 190-plus broadcasts in the KMUZ archives, and they are all about mid-Willamette Valley artists. Now, of course, the KMUZ studios have been temporarily closed until this COVID thing has run its course. So in the meantime, I am re-airing past broadcasts that I thought you might find interesting. So on this morning's program, I re-air the interview I did with iconographer Magdalene Grace Dean. And it is a very fitting program given this Christmas holiday time of year. Magdalene, as you will hear, is an extraordinary and multidisciplinary artist located here in the Willamette Valley, whose career in many fields of art extend for decades. But it is her exceptional work in the unique and rarefied world of religious art that this program focuses on this morning. Byzantine iconography continues to serve as a visual, symbolic, and tangible vehicle to Christian understanding. Uh, Just as it does today, so it did some 2,000 years ago. Byzantine iconography is Greek by heritage. It dates back to the very first depictions of Christianity when the faithful relied on the, here you go, illustrated logos, that is, the Word of God or Bible prior to the process of printing. Iconography, also known as hagiography, served as a means of education, enlightenment, and also inspiration. Many Christians today have returned to this vehicle of learning and inspiration in a response of contrast to their contemporary media-driven world. So iconographers were the earliest scribes of the Word. Holy icons were never graven images, nor were they ever idols. They were never considered portraits or realistic paintings of people or events. Rather, holy icons were, and still are today, rendered as two-dimensional scribing and are not merely painted. Big difference but truly written in a visual and symbolic theological language. I first came upon Magdalene's work while visiting artist Marilyn Affolter at her gallery on Evans Street in McMinnville. I have to say I was floored when I first saw several of the works beautifully displayed in her gallery alcove. The work is not there any longer, but that's where this show begins. Oh, and just for grins, I also left in the show's original opening, which I also thought fitting given all the stresses laid on us with each passing month of uh, 2020 here. Immediately after the interview with Magdalene, I'll be making a very special announcement about an event that will be taking place tomorrow, Saturday evening. 
and I'll also be announcing several local gallery and art store events as well toward the end of the broadcast. So here you go. This is the interview with iconographer Magdalene Grace Dean. Listen in. Good morning. Uh, Newsflash for this Christmas season, which is typically a time when artists tend to vacillate between wild enthusiasm and deep depression. Misery doesn't seem to improve the quality of art. Under scrutiny, the image of the tortured artistic genius appears to fall apart. Ah, but wait. Well, well, well. Before his suicide... Mark Rothko abandoned uh, bright colors for blacks, burgundy, deep green, and other melancholy shades. And in 1888, the year Vincent van Gogh cut off his ear, he produced dozens of extraordinary paintings, including his famous Arles work. Sometimes, it seems, despair nourishes art. But a new study released this week in the journal Management Science begs to differ. Researchers Catherine Grady and Carl Lieberman compared the sale prices of some 15,000 paintings using the Bluon Art Sales Index and the online collections of, the, of MoMA, Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Art Institute of Chicago, the National Gallery of Art, the J. Paul Getty Museum, and on and on. Some of the works coincided with happy periods in artists' lives and others with times of misery or grief, such as following the death of a friend, lover, or relative. A hue of angst and despair might make work more interesting, but it doesn't make it more valuable. In fact, work created during what the researchers called a quote-unquote bereavement period was up to 35% less valuable than a given artist's other pieces. On top of that, the morose works were less likely to be included in the collections of major museums. Grief and depression are hard, exhausting, and often monotonous, and all of this new analysis suggests that they can actually stifle creativity. So there you go. Artists, you have been informed. We were chatting about various pieces on display when I looked around the corner and became completely transfixed by an image that she had just displayed in her alcove gallery. It was similar to my mind. It was in my upbringing. I was exposed to a lot of iconography. And uh, lo and behold, beautifully displayed in Maryland's uh, uh, gallery are several images by this morning's guest, Magdalene Grace Dean. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. All right. Um, How are we doing with the volume levels there? Okay. Um, the um, thing that I was absolutely floored by was the, I love the light, that use of gold, the, the, the um, gold flake, for example, the way it just emits the, the wonderful spiritual halo effect, you know, and I just was, like I said, I was just absolutely transfixed. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you uh, had that response. That's that means that the art is communicating and conveying a sense of um, uh, welcome mm-hmm. and calm, and in many ways, splendor, mm-hmm. which is really what 
iconography exudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to thank Marilyn uh, Affalter for doing something unique in this community, and, and that is creating a space where, in a world where we're so worried about um, uh, inclusion, that we tend to exclude, uh, let's say, services and events and, and so on, um, because we're afraid to make a statement in one area, making other uh, choices or other interests, uh, people who have other interests, have them feel left out. Mm-hmm. But at Marilyn's place, she created what I affectionately called the inner sanctum. In her old building back there, she has a, a, a bank vault, and she had painted it in a way that it was lit most like a Byzantine uh, church from uh, the 4th or 5th century. Mm-hmm. And I call it the inner sanctum because you, you, it, it draws you in. It's, it's hidden back in the gallery. And it was the perfect way to describe and to, to actually display the, the works. And it caught your eye. It actually drew you in, which means that that's a successful exhibit. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, after doing uh, some survey, uh, finding that there is a huge community, like you've, you've found a number for artists in the community, um, a need for Christian liturgical art is apparent when there's over 100,000 Christians just in the Willamette area, and no place for them to find this ancient, most primitive form of what we call scribing, because they're not really meant to be portrayals. They're they're panels that were conveying a biblical message or an inspiration and historical uh, account of um, characters that were active during the first Christian period, mm-hmm. and um, they served as a teaching and a learning and a communication uh, device as well as an inspirational device, um, uh, a tool, if you will, um, because back then, um, in the early first hundred years of, of Christianity, there, there, weren't, there was no printing press and there was no Bible, so to speak. So these beautiful depictions were designed to speak a language and to convey uh, a story and ultimately to convey healing and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And they still do that today. That's interesting um, because you use the word word scribing. Yes. You know, in other words, the art is, is not so much in this case, in iconography, it's not so much visual, but of course it is, it is indeed. But what you're also saying is that it is, as it were, the written word. Yes, absolutely. It is considered the written word. Each icon has a form of, of actual text hand-painted either in Greek or in any of the other traditional languages that um, Orthodox Christians still use today and and celebrate their faith in. Um, But at the same time, the images are somewhat Mm -hmm. flat-looking, intentionally, because they're in a, a canon, and which is a, a rule of producing a draft, where they have to be in less than three-dimensional. If they're three-dimensional, they tend to be a portrait, um, trying to make it look too lifelike or human-like. And the, the two dimensions, the one-dimensional flat scribing and the two-dimensional image, um, 
keeps you from being distracted on, a, let's say, a, um, a tactile uh, uh, sense and allows you to read, if you will, mm-hmm. the uh, composition and the coloring of the holy ones or holy events that are that are depicted. Mm-hmm. Let me let me mention something here. I chose not to do a formal introduction with yes. you. Uh, the primary reason why is because by the time I was done reading through all of your accolades, all of your background, all of everything that you've done so far in your life, we would have consumed three hours worth of time. But when you mentioned in regards to the background of iconography, there are several things in your past that um, were part and parcel to creating icons. Uh, for example, painting and jewelry design yes. is part of your background. Um, the, uh, for that matter, dance and choreography. Yes. Uh, the um, uh, specifically flamenco. Um, let's see. You were a uh, worked as a master instructor, choreographer, performer, and set costume designer. Good heavens. Um, you also you have a mastery in uh, herbology and aromatology, uh, which also comes in into play with 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 your uh, icon paintings. Uh, these two healing arts require a background in phytochemistry and an understanding of plant root resin form formulations, including their historical uses. Can you sort of? And I know this is going to be difficult, but can you kind of give us a a overview where all of these multiple factors in your life have come into play uh, for you creating icons? Yes. Well, um, I originally grew up in the Christian faith, but it wasn't until I reached a point where I was able to mentor um, both in art and in music with uh, a Byzantine, a PhD in Byzantine chant, um, which is such a, who does that? I think there's (laughs) one in the world. And, um, and and then my formal training in, in art history when I became an academic, um, that was really the first, uh, I would say, planting of having interest and in eventually wanting to work this way um, uh, exclusively. Um, the work as a fashion designer, herbologist, and even jewelry designer are all aspects which which you will see in um, in any Byzantine, History, whether it's in, in architecture, whether it's in costume, jewelry, um, whether it's in imagery, uh, mosaics, and copy. Uh, if you if you were to combine that with my my faith, it made sense after a point of maturity where I had gained a mastership in each one of those modalities. Mm-hmm. That I said, is there a way for me to put this all together? And there, there certainly was. And becoming an iconographer isn't a simple thing. It's very complicated because it's not a matter of, uh, it's not an art event and it's, it's not a matter of just simply making art, but it's a lifestyle. And therefore we include a spiritual, uh, practice. We include a, 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 a lifestyle of serving, of, mm-hmm. of giving, of humanitarianism. Uh, humanitarianism, mm-hmm. of philanthropy, of healing, um, of generosity, and of course, here we are having this exhibit at Christmas time when we tend to want to celebrate that. Um, as an iconographer, we are living this way year round, 
and we are aware of how we spend our time. And in order to prepare to do the pieces, we have to go into a form of what ascesis is the Greek term that we use. It's an athleticism, both for um, for our endurance to to work in our spiritual life. It's almost semi-monastic in many ways. I was just going to comment. This all yes. rings very close to taking vows. Very similar. Mm-hmm. But I'm in the world. And in particular, and most interesting, I'm in the art world. Mm-hmm. And I really have found a beautiful balance in gracefully placing this inspirational and liturgical art into the mainstream of contemporary art. I have collectors who are, they come into uh, the presence of the icons with the, uh, with the opulent use of 23, 24-carat gold leaf, which all has um, a, a, a theological symbolism, which, which all comes together with a bottom line of growth, love, and healing. So as, as that is conveyed in each work, people from from all backgrounds, all religious backgrounds or non-religious backgrounds are really quite drawn to the works. And in being drawn to the works, you want to know about the history. And then you want to know about why the formulations and the techniques and why it's so time-consuming and why it's so complicated. I mentioned to you before we started our um, our session together in our little uh, lobby room there that we just don't get up and paint and say, oh, I'm having a good day. And certainly your lead-in with the description of the morose paintings and how they are not as valuable, we can never really come into uh, the presence of working uh, on a particular piece if we're in that state of mind because it will somehow translate and if it translates into the work, then we're not being successful in conveying love, inspiration, healing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is very much a semi-monastic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I embrace because it gives me more freedom than I've ever had artistically. In, in what way? Well, I'm able to enter this inner sanctum of each icon, if you will, and really understand the event that's going on both historically and biblically, um, and be able to um, place myself back in a day when we lived more simply and we craftsmanship was, was perhaps someone's interest or someone's, uh, someone's work for uh, the daylight hours of each day and how they had to work around the natural daylight and the atmospheric conditions, whether it was raining or whether it was dry or whether it was hot or whether there was snow, and adjust their artistic life to that. Mm-hmm. And so I live that way now and find that I can um, have much more of a large experience because of that. I'm also able to access my interior life, not just the exterior life, um, and um, which is your, you know, your prayerful life or your inspirational life, and see that that's kind of um, infinite there. That mm-hmm. there's much to gain in ev- on a daily basis, and um, 
I'm experiencing that along with the art. That's interesting because that's that's the heart and center of every artist. Right I think there. it. I think it is. Yeah, yes. Regardless of a spiritual path or even a non-spiritual spiritual path, for that matter. Exactly. You know, that's that's really fascinating. So they really call the icons and have had this name of of the the windows windows to the soul. Mm-hmm. And many of the people who either pray uh, before an icon because they don't pray to. That's the that's the difference. They're not right. statues. <laughs> they pray before an icon almost as a, a a conduit or an intercessor, and um, um, they, they, you know, we, we can listen to music in that mm-hmm. way to place us in that state, or um, we can walk through the woods to place us in that state. And um, uh, windows to the soul, um, that the, the namaker that, that icons usually hold nowadays, basically just means that they're a tool to help you enter your uh, your interior space, that infinite space, that that uh, space that we celebrate in the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, um, how do you handle the iconoclasts of this world? Well, I I invite them once again as Marilyn Affalter is being inclusive. Mm-hmm. She really is being inclusive by not being exclusive. Um, I do the same thing, and I have many clients who are not necessarily Christian who are just. They get a feeling standing before these, as you did when you were beckoned into this room that was uh, reflective of uh, the many different pigments. You know, we, we, we hand grind elements like lapis lazuli, semi-precious stones, um, and include them into the egg tempera, which was the formula that was used nearly 2,000 years ago. They re- reflect light and give you a warmth and a feeling of of uh, natural, um, not only light, but, you know, I would think that with the many metals being used that there's something affected with the magnetic field even. You know, for me, as you as you comment there about that, for me, it, it, it struck me as the richness, depth, and clarity of the colors and the shapes that I was seeing. And the shapes are geometric. They're part of that language. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're applied in close to 200 layers of finely ground pigment into uh, an egg base where it allows light to come in from every direction. So, therefore, they, they actually glow. Mm-hmm. And not only are they, 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 they stand the test of time. Many icons that we see in museums are... Uh, 1,000, 1,500, almost close to 2,000 years old, um, they are also somehow forgiving uh, to the atmosphere, dry dry areas, moist areas. They have a lasting ability. They have a, they have a presence. So I think when people um, stand before them, they feel a sense of security because of that ongoing presence and, and really what they're they're just exemplifying the ongoing presence of of love mm-hmm. and um, and faith hmm. so the, it's this is why I think more and more people are coming to my school 
are interested in learning. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. What, I, what about your school? Well, um, it's the first school for Byzantine iconography here on the West Coast. I started the original model in Los Angeles after completing an award at the Getty uh, Museum and Research Center where I approached them and asked them if I could do a formal study on Byzantine iconography. Hmm. Um, they normally need to go through a, an approval process through their board of directors, but I was given an okay to start this research within 24 hours because it coincided with many exhibits that they were having at the time where they were bringing in um, ancient Christian art from Greece, um, the Christian museums and the and the Byzantium, the Byzantine museums all from that region. And for the first time, they were leaving that region ever in, in their history and coming all the way across America to be exhibited at the Getty Museum. Mm-hmm. Along with it came a huge set of symposiums with education, not only on the liturgical art, but the symbolism. Everyone talks about um, uh, the Da Vinci Code. Well, what really goes on in iconography is so much more complex and exciting that once you learn the process, you, of course, have to learn the symbolism of the theology. And in doing so, you have no choice but to be attracted to the ancient, original Christian uh, um, uh, tradition. Mm-hmm. And so that's happening here also in Salem. We have um, we have the first Byzantine um, uh, uh Christian, ancient Christian Orthodox Church as a mission here, and we're also we're having um, many, many more people coming and asking me about um, how can I learn more about this? What does this mean? Uh, what's the story? What's it's not an interpretation. I mean, it's not a translation. It's actually an interpretation of an actual event. I want to know more about this. So. Um, uh, you know, that that form of interest for this ancient Christian art is growing in Oregon in leaps and bounds. What, what accounts for that, do you think? I think what happens with so many different choices in, in both the Christian world and in any other religion, there's so many different choices. I think... I think many people want to go to the original route. The, mm, mm-hmm. I really do think that rather than um, understand a maybe watered-down or a contemporized version, that they want to come back to the original understanding and the original message mm-hmm. and have it not be um, distorted. Mm-hmm. And that's I, honestly why I think that it's growing at the level that it is. The museums are now collaborating in, in this way with these ancient churches. Hmm. And um, I'd also, you know, for the first time we're having a Byzantine uh, Christmas, not only ex- exhibit, but liturgical music concert here in Salem. Well, that's coming up Thursday. Wow. <laughs> Wasn't that incredible? I hope you enjoyed today's rebroadcast featuring iconographer Magdalene Grace Dean. If you ever get the opportunity, please see her work in person. Online is fine, but it's just a pale representation of the real thing. So if not in person, then I urge you to view her work via her website at artbyzantium.com. That is artofbyzantium.com. 
Let me spell Byzantium, B-Y-Z-A-N-T-I-U-M, artofbyzantium.com. Magdalene can also be contacted through that same website. Now, please note, this is a rebroadcast from 2017, so any of the time and event information is no longer valid. Now, many galleries have been steadfastly adapting their events and putting on program regardless of this COVID thing. And I think it's certainly worth our support. The following are announcements about gallery and store events and also that very special announcement I spoke of at the beginning of the program. Okay, right off. The special event is called Christmas with Capella Romana. It's going to be Saturday, December 12th at 7.30. But this is, this is unique. Listen to this. The day before Thanksgiving, Capella Romana safely recorded a spectacular recital of Christmas music in Greek, English, and Slavonic. On Saturday, December 12th at 7.30 p.m., I hope you, your family, and friends will gather with Capella Romana for Christmas music you won't hear anywhere else. The evening will include selections from their Christmas recordings, including When Augustus Rain, Son of Justice, and carols from Richard Tonzing's Contagion on the Nativity and Orthodox Christmas carols. Plus, you'll also see interviews with a number of your favorite Capella Romana singers. Now, mark your calendars now. The event will be free, and you can listen live on YouTube and also Facebook. So look up this, capellaromana.org, capellaromana.org. Let me spell that. Capella is C-A-P-P-E-L-L-A. Romana, R-O-M-A-N-A. Put them together. CapellaRomanum.org. And again, that is tomorrow, Saturday evening, December 12th, 7.30 p.m. So there you go. The gallery at Tent Oaks, uh, free shipping now available. Purchases totaling $150 or more now qualify for free shipping. Plus, we now offer a flat rate shipping for all items under $150. And it's just, you know, their wonderful way of saying thank you for your uh, ongoing support during this, uh, well, surprising year as and beyond. Uh, Gordon McCann, one of the artists at uh, the Gallery at Ten Oaks, um, is has produced a Echo Mountain Fire fundraiser. Uh, artist Gordon McCann is raising funds to help those families who lost their homes in the Echo a mountain complex fire during September of 2020. And that's when over 2,500 acres burned near Otis and Lincoln City. And over 290 homes were lost. So 100% of the proceeds of these pieces will go toward recovery. And so those pieces are from are produced rather by Gordon McCann, and it is for the Echo Mountain Fire Fundraiser. You can go to the Gallery at Ten Oaks website, tenoaksgallery.com, and read all about it there. River Gallery in Independence, right there on Main Street. Uh, they've been representing Northwest artists since 1998. Their December hours, this is unique, their December hours are now Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 12 to 4 p.m., 
Their gallery represents a diverse group of Northwest artists working in a wide variety of mediums, and they encourage you to browse their artist pages and their virtual offerings on YouTube and also Facebook. But it's much easier just simply to go to the rivergalleryart.com website. That's rivergalleryart.com website and take a look there. Uh, just FYI, Halley Ford, unfortunately, uh, they are closed until further notice. There are no events going on. Uh, they hate to do that. I fully agree. Uh, but Halley Ford Museum of Art is closed until further notice. Elsinore Framing and Fine Art Gallery, located right there on Ferry Street in downtown Salem. Elsinore Framing and Fine Art uh, in downtown Salem again hosts the Something Red show. Something Red is Artisan Action's Crown Jewel annual event. This juried call and exhibit uh, has evolved and gained no notoriety over the years. All submitted artwork of any medium or style incorporates the color red as a focal point or primary color in the composition. It began December 5th, and it continues to go through December 30th. But if you can't make it down personally, then you can see the entire show on the Elsinore Framing and Galleries website. It is a virtual gallery, and right there you can also vote for People's Choice, and you can also purchase any of the available artwork and poetry from Something Red. So that's Elsinore Framing and Fine Art Gallery. Their website is elsinoregallery.com. They are located on Ferry Street, right downtown Salem. Finally, Lunaria. Lunaria on Water Street in Silverton. Uh, their hours are now Wednesday through Sunday, 12 a.m. to 5 p.m. Now, if you'd like to make an appointment to come to the gallery outside of those hours, you can contact them uh, via their website or also via a email, info at lunariagallery.com. And you can also purchase art via their online purchase website. Lunaria is beautifully laid out right now and decorated for the Christmas season. Upstairs in their loft is a large variety of small to medium art pieces, perfect for stocking stuffers or full-size gifts of local art by local artists. So that's Lunaria Gallery. Their website, LunariaGallery.com. They are located on Water Street in downtown Silverton. The Mary Artists is an art supply store located on 3rd Street in McMinnville. Their new hours are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Saturday, 10 to 5 p.m. They are closed on Sundays. They continue to offer curbside pickup service, and they also ship to addresses in the United States and Canada. So that's the Mary Artists Art Supply, 3rd Street in McMinnville. And finally, Art Department. Art Department is a fiercely <laughs> independent art supply store in the heart of downtown Salem. And Art Department's mission is to support artists from inspiration to celebration. And right now, they also have a tremendous selection of perfect for Christmas gifts. Check out their website, or better yet, drop in. They are located right downtown Salem on Commercial Street. That's Art Department. Their uh, web address is artdepartmentsupply.com. Artdepartmentsupply.com. 
And so my next show will be the fourth Friday of December. That is, of course, Christmas Day, December 25th. What will I feature? Well, on Christmas morning, I will air a show that will speak to, yes, Christmas, but more directly to this time of year as it relates to this challenging year of 2020. How have the events of this year affected us as artists? Have we been energized by by these events? Have we been disheartened by them? Have we sought out new channels of creativity? Or have we retreated into the confines of our studios, say, and, and wrapped ourselves in an old familiar blanket and attempted to make the best mug of hot chocolate we could possibly muster? Well, I had the opportunity to pose these questions and more to some six artists, and their answers and reflections ranged all over the map. But in the end, there were some surprising conclusions. So that will be my show this coming Christmas morning on Talking About Art. Right now, stay tuned for poet Steve Slamanda's program, Poetry on the Air. His show features the poets and their events in the mid-Willamette Valley, and that starts just after 10 o'clock. And yes, we are an all-volunteer community radio station that thrives only because of your financial help and support. So if you enjoy theater talk, poetry on the air, talking about art, go to the kmuz.org website, hit the Contribute Now button, and have at it. By the way, your donation is, of course, tax-deductible, and thank you very much for your support. The music I used today was by uh, Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 at creativecommons.org. I'll get today's broadcast entered into the KMUZ program archives, and then I'll post its link on the Talking About Art Facebook page when it's ready to go. Talking About Art is great, but now it's your turn to go out and do something about art. I'm your host, Joel Zach. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.